when God first placed Adam, the crown jewel of his creation in the garden, do you know what Adam immediately discovered? There was no one else. There was no one else who was quite like him. And the God who brought all creation into being said to himself, it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper suitable for him. So God gave to Adam Eve. You see, when God first created Adam, he never intended for Adam to live alone, to live in isolation from from somebody who was like him. No, instead, what God did was he created a deep-seated desire and need for connection to be surrounded by other people who are like him, to be part of a community. And a couple millennia later, you and I still feel that truth, don't we? We feel that desire and that need, and we surround ourselves with other people. We strive to be parts of communities, to to be with other people who are like-minded, who share our hobbies and our interests, these people who can be there for us when we are in need, much like you are doing here this morning. You are part of a community, right? Now, when God first created the first community with Adam and Eve, it was absolutely perfect. Never any issues, never any problems. Adam and Eve got along perfectly. Adam and Eve and God were in perfect harmony with one another. But unfortunately, since the fall into sin, every community that has existed since then has been racked with sin. You've also experienced this too, right? Because from time to time, in the communities that we are a part of, we can fall out of favor, favor with the people who make up those communities. Maybe you fall out of favor with the the people in your communities because of something that you said or something that you did or something you didn't do. Regardless of what caused it, our gut reaction is to try to get back in favor with those people, right? We try to do just about anything we can, whether it's an apology or provision, whether it's through word or action, to get back into favor with these people. And quite honestly, most of the time that works, doesn't it? And because this is the way that our world works and the way that our communities work, it's only a short leap for humanity to think that this is the way our relationship with our God works. Because if you're anything like me, you've got those moments in life. And maybe there are even long stretches of life where you feel like you've fallen out of favor with God. Now, whether that's actually true or not, whether it's based on subjective feeling or objective reality, that doesn't make that feeling of falling out of favor with God any less real, does it? And you have to find a way to try to get back into favor with God. At least that's what our sinful human hearts tell us. You feel like you fall out of favor with God when, well, when you compare your physical life or your spiritual life, excuse me, to those of others. Maybe you're a person who was brought to faith later in life and you compare your journey of faith to that of someone who has been, who was brought to faith from the time that they were born or you think about your depth of biblical knowledge or lack thereof and compare it to the person who is sitting next to you, or, or you, maybe you just simply aren't, on as, aren't as on fire for the Lord as, as the person who lives down the street from you, and you take all of those as signs that you aren't as highly favored by God. You feel like maybe you've fallen out of favor with God when you compare your physical life with those around you. You compare their success to your failures. You compare your want to their plenty. You compare their family to your family. And you take the fact that you have less and that they have more as a sign that they are more highly favored by God. And this happens to everyone, every single person here, because no matter what we have, we are always comparing up. So whether you have very little or you have a lot, you are always looking at the person who has more because the sinful human heart is never content with the things that it has. And if you feel like you have less, then you are led to believe that you aren't 
as highly favored by God as other people. You feel like you've fallen out of favor with God when you carry around those feelings like I do. And you know the feelings I'm talking about, the, the regret over an action that you shouldn't have done, but you did anyway, the remorse that you carry because of an action that you should have done but didn't. And then comes the guilt that feels, makes you feel like you are trapped in quicksand, unable to get out at all. And you take these nagging feelings that just never seem to go away as a sign that you have completely fallen out of favor with God, or at the very least, your favor with God is running on empty. And in all of these cases, when you and I have feel like we have fallen out of favor with God, what does our gut reaction tell us? That there has to be, that there must be something that we can do to get back in favor with God. Do you know why we feel that way? Because this is the way that our world and our communities work. That there's something that we can do in our world and our communities to get back into favor with people. And so we impose that on our relationship with God and we think that our God works on some sort of quid pro quo scale. Do you know what I mean by that? We think that God kind of works on this system where we scratch God's back and he scratches ours. That God, if I do this thing for you, then you are going to do this thing for me. This is how you work, God. If my faith is feeling weak, then I'll just believe a little bit harder because the harder I believe, the more favor God will see in me. If I am lacking something in this life, then I will just simply throw a few more volunteer hours at church that I'll type in a little bit larger of a number on my digital offering. And, and the more that I give, the more that I get. God, I scratched your back, now you scratch mine. When you have those feelings of remorse and guilt that, that well up in your heart, well, then you solve that by just simply saying, I'm going to do a few more good things, you know, fulfill that whole second table of the law, commandments four through ten, love my neighbor a little bit more, because the more I do, the more favor God will find in me. But you got to stop and ask yourself. For these feelings that are causing us to, to think that God operates on a quid pro quo scale, are they actually reliable? And if God does, in fact, operate on a quid pro quo scale, I'll scratch God's back, he scratches mine, can the things that we do to try to earn the favor of God ever be enough? Ever. The answer is no to both of those. And it just takes a cursory look at Scripture to find that to be true. Because when you actually dig into Scripture and you look at Scripture, what you actually find is God has never and will never operate on a scale that says, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. He's never, ever operated that way. God doesn't look at the people of this world who have a lot, who, who are very great, people who are good at what they do and say, you're highly favored because of that. God doesn't look at people who have societal clout. He doesn't look at people who are important in our society or who are mighty in our world and say, you are highly favored because of those things. That's never the way that God works. And if you want proof of that, just look at the two characters we have in our narratives this morning in our service folders. Look at David. Who was David when God called him? He wasn't important. He was a shepherd for his father. He spent his days working out in a field with his hands. Do you know who David, where David fell in line and in his familial line as Jesse's sons? He was the youngest. David didn't come from the, the center of Jewish religious life from Jerusalem. He hailed from Bethlehem, a city just outside of Jerusalem. David was nothing. What about Mary? Mary was a lowly servant. She was a virgin. 
She was she hailed from a town called Nazareth, which is about a hundred miles north of Jerusalem. In fact, Nazareth, the city that Mary came from, it's the city that Philip later quips, can anything good actually come from there? Mary didn't have any real societal importance, and neither did the man that she was pledged to be married to, Joseph. He was just simply a carpenter. In both Mary and David, there was nothing in them that the world would look at them and say, these guys, this man and this woman are highly favored. There was nothing in them that would cause God to look at them and say, you are highly favored. Not in and of themselves. But that's the point. And this presents us with a very important point about who our God is and the way that our God works. Because our God doesn't care about who you are and what you do on your own. No, what God cares about is what's in here. Because God, he chooses the youngest son. He chooses the lowly virgin. He chooses the unsuspecting. He chooses the unimportant. He chooses those who are unfavorable and he makes them favorable. He makes them favorable to himself. And not only that, our God also uses men and women like David and Mary and like you and me to, to be the ones that he uses to display his grace and his favor to the world. To David, this young, the youngest son of Jesse, to the, to the shepherd boy turned king. Do you remember what God promised him in our first reading for today? God poured out his favor on David and said, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. To Mary, this lowly virgin from a good-for-nothing town, God poured out his favor on her. And he sent his angel and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Now, contrary to what many people think, Mary was not highly favored because of the thing that she was going to do. Absolutely not. Mary was highly favored because of what God was going to do through her and what God had already given to her. God had poured out on Mary his favor, his arrow pointing down love. God had planted deep in her heart a faith that trusted in him. Mary was highly favored because of what God was going to do through her. And the same is true for you. You are highly favored, not because of who you are, not because of what you do, but because of what God has already done for you. And no matter no matter what our idea is, no matter what our natural inclination is to think that we need to somehow earn favor with God, or if we've fallen out of favor with God, that we need to find a way and we must find a way to get back into favor with God. God shows us how backwards that idea really is. And he does so with the announcement that Gabriel gives to Mary. Listen again to this announcement from Luke chapter 1. Gabriel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. What Gabriel, or what God through Gabriel, is showing you and me, and was showing to Mary that, that our favor with God, it has nothing to do with us. But our favor with God has everything to do with the son that Mary was going to carry. The son that Mary was going to carry was the, the son of the most high God who was perfect in every way and stood in perfect favor with God because he himself was God. The child that Mary was going to carry was the son of David, the one who would sit on the throne of David that would, and would rule in his kingdom forever. But his kingdom is so different from the way that the world thinks about kingdoms. It is not a kingdom that would be overtaken by armies or could be overthrown by war. This kingdom isn't even a physical location at all. 
Because you see, the, the kingdom of the Son of David, the Son of the Most High God, is a kingdom of grace. It is a kingdom where God the Father pours out his arrow pointing down love and puts it on display for everyone to see in his Son. Son of Mary, the Son of the Most High, the Son that Mary would name Jesus, who means that the Lord saves. This kingdom, it operates in a way that is completely and totally backwards from the way that the world, the world and our communities, for that matter, operate. Because in the, the kingdom of God's grace, the last, they're first. The oppressed, they're exalted. The lowly, they're lifted up. The hungry, they're constantly fed. This kingdom is so different. It is a kingdom where the impossible happens, where people like you and me who have no favor to stand before God on our own, where even the, the people that, that humanity would call the worst in our society, where the downtrodden and the lowly and the oppressed, this is a kingdom where they, where you and me find favor. And it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with what the ruler of this kingdom would do for us what the child of Mary, what the Son of God would do for us. Because that child that Mary was carrying, the child that Mary was carrying was the one upon whom the hopes of countless generations hung. He was the one that Paul talked about this morning that said the prophets long testified to, the Son of the Most High, the Son of David, God's Son. He would take everything every unfavorable act and thought and word and deed that you have ever carried out, every sin that you have ever committed that makes you unfavorable to the Lord your God, and he places it on himself. The Lord God, through his death and resurrection, he takes what is ugly and he makes it beautiful. He takes what was born in the darkness and brings it into the light. He takes what is unfavorable and makes it favorable. He takes what was dead and makes it alive. And there is nothing else, no other place in the world where anything like this could ever happen. This is so backwards because you having favor, you having this transformation, it doesn't come from who you are and what you do. It comes from what the king has done for you. And your entrance into this kingdom of grace and into the favor of God it comes from the Son of God paving that path for you. And when we hear that proclamation of that truth, that sinful doubter that lives in our heart, he comes and he raises all sorts of questions and objections, saying, how could this be? How could, how could favor be given to me without me doing anything? I mean, this is how Mary responded when the angel Gabriel spoke to her, right? She said, how could this be? When Gabriel told her everything that was going to happen to her, that she was going to conceive and give birth to, the, to a son, and he was going to be the son of the Most High, Mary was so perplexed and disturbed because, well, she was a virgin. The angel Gabriel assuages her, all of her fears and all of her doubts. And he says this to her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. See, Mary thought it was, is an impossibility that she could be pregnant. But God points out the very fact that it's a miracle. In those words that Gabriel spoke to Mary that day in Nazareth, they're words that are spoken to your hearts this morning too. Because what is impossible for man to have favor with God 
based on who we are and what we do. God says he performs a miracle. He says, I'm going to do something that is absolutely impossible for human hearts to fathom. I am going to win a salvation for the people, for my people, that is impossible for them to win because nothing is impossible for me. When we hear those words spoken, our response can and should be nothing other than the response that Mary gave. A response that simply received the proclamation and the promise of God. A response that simply takes the word of God and trusts what it says. That regardless of what you think, regardless of how you feel, you are highly favored. Because nothing is impossible with God. And Mary, we're given a glimpse into the very nature and essence of faith, aren't we? Because faith, it simply and humbly and with the heart of thanksgiving receives what God tells you. That you are highly favored, no matter how impossible it might seem. And so, Lord, in those days when my sin drags me into the darkness and guilt weighs me down, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said to Mary, that through your Son, I have forgiveness and restoration and healing, and I stand in your favor. Lord, on the days when, when I feel like I have fallen out of favor with you and stand outside of your kingdom of grace, May it be to me as you have said, that your son has established a throne and a kingdom over which he rules and through which he has paved entrance for me. And it is a kingdom in which I live and exist and dwell, where I stand in your favor. Lord, on the days when when I feel like I can and must earn your favor, may it be to me as you have said. Point me back to your son. And show me that he is the one who has made me favorable before you. No matter how backwards and upside down and absurd it seems, no matter how impossible it might be, I pray that with Mary you receive that proclamation and promise from God. That because of what God's Son has done, the Lord is with you. There is no need to be afraid. You are highly favored. God grant it. Amen.